First Peter chapter 3 is our scripture lesson for today as we continue our study uh, through first and I think ultimately also second Peter but we are today in first Peter chapter 3 sometimes when a football team loses a game they thought they were going to win you will hear the coach say we just weren't ready we weren't ready for their speed we weren't ready for their size we weren't ready for their passing game we just weren't ready to play or you'll hear them say they were ready for whatever we threw at them we didn't surprise them with anything we tried to do they were ready or maybe you've been preparing a presentation maybe a sales presentation maybe a presentation to your upper level bosses and as you went into that presentation you said to yourself I've got to think of every possible question they could ask me so that I'm not taken by surprise and so I have an answer for them because preparation is a key to success in every area of our lives and we are able to better handle situations when we are somewhat prepared to face them that is certainly true as we endeavor to live the Christian life in 2023 <laughs> Peter has already challenged us to have our minds prepared and now he returns to that theme of preparation for these days and to a group of Christians living in a time of chaos and uncertainty and it certainly applies to us today he writes these words first Peter chapter 3 verse 13 who's going to harm you if you are eager to do good I know you've got a question about that we'll get to it but even if you should suffer for what is right you are blessed do not fear their threats do not be frightened but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it's God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And then he goes on and talks about Christ as our example of suffering for doing good so in this section Peter is talking about the importance of preparation and he starts out by saying you need to be prepared for suffering and we have talked about the historic context of first Peter written in the mid AD 60s when Nero was the Emperor and the Christians were going under tremendous persecution and so Peter reminds them to be prepared for that suffering. As I'm preaching through 1 Peter, I realize that I am repeating myself a lot. Because Peter repeats himself a lot. And, and there's kind of a rule of thumb uh, as you study the Bible. Something that is repeated, you need to pay attention to especially because it is incredibly important and Peter is writing to these Christians living in a very anti-Christian society and he's saying hard times are going to come even for believers and we need to 
remember that if you haven't been made aware of that yet. We need to understand that in 2023. Now, he says in verse 13, who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? And sometimes that's the norm. But it seems that in our day, that seems to happen less and less frequently. In fact, it seems, especially on the national scale, that the more times you try to do good, the more hassle you get. You know, Because the righteousness of God in you is offensive to the unrighteousness of the world. And so the very fact that you have Christ in you, you are like a walking offense to them because it is rebuking the unrighteousness that is in them. However, and I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, and I think I'll mention it again in a couple of weeks. I do believe that it is still possible to have that happen in interpersonal relationships. That is to say, people may say, I wish they wouldn't believe that way about this issue or that issue or that issue, but I have to admit they're good people. I have to admit they're kind, they're loving, you know, I, I don't feel, you know, condemned by them. Uh, they don't agree with me, but I appreciate their life. I appreciate the good things they do. I, I believe that it is possible. You're the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men that they'll see your good works and glorify God. And I believe that even in a world that has so incredibly, increasingly anti Christian, it is still possible in your circle of influence to have that kind of a reputation. No, I don't agree with their religion stuff, but they're kind, they're loving, they'll help you. If you need help, you can call on them and they'll help you if they can. They're good people, and that's what Peter is talking about. But suffering does come. And he says, Who's going to harm you? That word harm is, is an interesting word. And, and some commentators believe it means damage. Specifically damage to your soul or to your spirit. And so Peter's setting the stage and saying, even when suffering comes, it doesn't have to damage you. If you will stay connected to God, you will be able to go through times of suffering and come out better for it. It's Romans 8.31. If God is for us, who can be against us? So be prepared for suffering and know that as you stay connected to God, it will not damage your soul or spirit. And then he breaks it down. He says, remember that you are blessed if you suffer for Christ. If you suffer for what is right, you are blessed. That is a concept I'm working on because in 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter picks up the same theme. He says, if you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. For the spirit of the glory and the spirit of God rests on you. If you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear his name. And remember, Jesus said in the Beatitudes, blessed are you, Matthew 5, who are persecuted for righteousness sake. The point is, suffering for the believer is not an end in itself. Suffering will be ultimately, and come back in two weeks when we're in 1 Peter 4, it will ultimately be transformed into glory 
when Christ appears. That's what Peter teaches in chapter 4. Suffering for Christ brings glory. It doesn't mean no pain, no gain. But it means that if you go through suffering because of your faith and your stand for Christ, that will bring to you eternal gain and eternal glory. It's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Now, when you're in the middle of them, they don't seem light and they don't seem momentary. But Paul says, and he, you know, you read Paul's story. He went through some stuff. But he is saying that in light of what it's working for me in eternity, they are light and they are momentary. So Peter says in verse 14, don't be afraid. Don't be frightened of their threats. Don't fear them. Don't be afraid because God has you. He's got your back. He's got your front. He's got your sides. He's all around you. The eternal God is your refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. So remember that suffering brings blessing. The second thing he says to do as we go through suffering is to revere or set apart Christ as Lord. In your hearts, revere, the King James says, set apart Christ as Lord. Talk to you a little bit about that. Sometimes you'll hear people say, well, I made Jesus Lord. No, we don't make Jesus Lord. Jesus is Lord. The decision we have to make is if we're going to submit ourselves to his lordship over our lives. And Peter is saying, as you're going through suffering, you need to make sure that you have Christ as the Lord of your life. And that basically means he's the boss. It means not my will, but thine be done. And I don't know about you, but I have learned in my life that that's not something that you just do one time and it's over. You know, uh, I think that there, there are times in our lives when like every day it's like, Lord, you're my Lord today. You know, I'm putting you once again, you are on the throne of my life, not my will, thine be done you do your will in my life. And there will be seasons in your life where you will have to pray that prayer on a regular basis. Partially to remind yourself, it's not up to me, it's up to God. In, in some of my studies, uh, as I've been working through First Peter, I ran across a statement, something like, worry is a very subtle form of pride. Because worry says, I'm the one that gets to fix this. When instead we ought to be saying, God, I can't fix this. I give it to you. Now you can mull on that and throw it out or meditate on it, whatever you want to do. But, but I think there's an element of truth to that. We think it's up to us. God says, no, my will be done, not your will be done. So turn everything over to him. Because so much of the struggle in many people's Christian life is arguing with God over what we think is best for us. When we need to understand he knows what's best for us. 
And it's always safe to say, Lord, I surrender my life to you. You be the Lord of all the kingdoms of my life. Not my will, yours be done. Not my plan, yours be done. Not my agenda, yours be done. Set apart Christ as Lord. And then in verse 16, he says, keep a clear conscience. This is almost verbatim of chapter 2, verse 12, that told us to live such good lives that people will be ashamed if they try to slander us. That word good in chapter 2, I mentioned to you, means beautiful or harmonious. And Joe Aldridge, in his book, Lifestyle Evangelism, uses the terms music and words. And he says, our lives are to be the music of the gospel, the beautiful harmonies of the gospel that prepare people to hear the words of the gospel. And that typically music comes first. And so Peter is saying, you live your life in such a way with a clear conscience so that people who know you have to acknowledge that you are living consistently with what you say. And that really comes through in times of suffering. A violin makes beautiful music when the strings are stretched and taut. <laughs> but have you ever tried to play a violin when the strings are loose? Sounds horrible. Ever tried to play a gu guitar when the strings are loose? It's like, no, it's just noise. But some of the most beautiful music that our lives ever make is when we're being stretched. And so keep your conscience clear so that your life is beautiful music. And as I was thinking about this, it's important to have a clear conscience when you're going through times of suffering. Because sometimes, especially those of us who are real... Um, very, very concerned about the slightest little thing in our lives. If, if suffering comes, the devil will hop on us and say, God's punishing you because you've got this sin and this sin. And if you have a clear conscience, that element of, of the suffering is gone because you don't know I'm doing my best with God's help to live my life pleasing to him. This suffering is not a punishment. This suffering is coming because of my stand for Christ. Keep a clear conscience. And then he says, remember Christ's example. If you want to talk about suffering for righteousness sake, Christ is exhibit A. If you want to talk about suffering unjustly, Christ is exhibit A. So far, none of us has been crucified. <laughs> and Peter says, just remember Christ's example. You say you've got it bad, just remember what Christ went through for us. So Peter says, in these last days, be prepared for suffering. It's going to come. You know, the consistency of Scripture is, don't be surprised when it comes. Suffering for Christ will come, more so in the last days. And remember, Jesus promised us this too. He says, the world hated me, it's going to hate you because it hates the Christ in us. So don't be surprised. But here's what Christ does to make a difference for his followers. When we respond appropriately, when those times of suffering come, 
we are given opportunities to demonstrate Christ. And so Peter says in verse 13, be ready to give an answer for the hope that's in you. Now, I've preached on that passage over and over and over. But it was not until this study that I saw the connection between suffering and sharing your faith. He says, as you go through the difficulties of life, you will have an opportunity to show forth Christ. And people will wonder, what in the world's different about you? So you be ready to give them an answer for the hope that is in you. Be prepared to give an answer. Peter is not saying to be ready to give an answer for every possible question that a skeptic may ask you. Sometimes I think that's how we interpret that verse. And so we say, oh, I can't talk to anybody about the Lord because they might ask me a question I don't know the answer to, and then my witness will be ruined. No, that's not what he's saying. What he is saying is be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have. In other words, our lives should be so different because of Jesus in us that people who know us will notice the difference. And that difference is most powerfully demonstrated in times of difficulties and hardships. Surely in your life you've known strong believers who've gone through incredible times of stress and suffering and, and you just marvel at the peace and, and, and how they maintain their faith. And you ask them as another believer, how are you able to do that? So Peter is saying, as you go through suffering, as you react to it in a Christ-like way, people will see the difference Jesus makes and they will ask you not all the questions about you know, faith. They will ask you, how do you hang on to your hope? And the ultimate answer to that, you may remember as we've studied through 1 Peter, when Peter uses the word hope, he's primarily referring to the hope that we have in the return of Christ. Our suffering will be turned into glory at the return of Christ. The hope that keeps us steady is we know Christ is coming back. So let's pause here for a minute and, and think about sharing our faith in the church we call it evangelism or witnessing so that we can be better prepared to give an answer for those who ask us about our hope and you know as the world gets crazier and crazier it may well be that there are going to be people in your life who say you don't seem to be all that upset about what's going on what makes the difference and you're able to talk to them about the hope that we have in Christ so let's talk briefly about the biblical philosophy of evangelism. And I think the best way in a word or two to describe it is from Joe Aldridge's book, Lifestyle Evangelism. So many times we think evangelism is inviting somebody to come to a crusade where somebody else preaches to them. That is a part of evangelism. But 
I believe the most biblically accurate philosophy of evangelism is by your life, by how you live your life. And Elmer Towns coined the term frangelism, F-R-A-N-gelism. And it stands for friends, relatives, associates, business associates, and social associates, and neighbors. That comes from the book of Acts, where it says the early Christians went house to house, sharing their faith. That's the verse that, if you have ever been involved in a church that, you know, back when you could go to a neighborhood and just, you take this street and I'll take this street and hit door to door and go through, that's the verse that that comes from. But the word house there is the word oikos. And it is not a term of a building, it's a term of a social network. And in the New Testament, your oikos was your friend. The friends you had, the relatives you had, the associates that were your business associates or your social associates or you know the people you, you know, did sports with or whatever, and your neighbors. That was your oikos. And you know, if you think about it, the most effective evangelism takes place in the context of relationships that are already existent. So our challenge is to build into people's lives. And let me give you a couple of terms um, that may help you if you're serious about sharing your faith. The word receptive and the word responsive. For effective evangelism to take place, people need to be receptive to you and responsive to the message. There are people that are in your social network that you just don't get along with. You know, you, you, there, whatever reason you just don't get along, they are not receptive to you. They might be responsive if somebody else gives them the message, but they're not receptive to you. And then there are other people that are very receptive to you. They love hanging out with you and they'll go out to lunch with you or, you know, go whatever, you know, whatever activity y'all enjoy doing together, go to a ball game or whatever. But they're not responsive to the message. They're not ready to hear yet. Our prayer is, God, lead me to receptive, responsive people. Lead me to people who are receptive to me, open to me, They'll listen to what I have to say, and they will be responsive when I share my faith. They will be open to hearing about Christ. And you know that there are different times of life when people are more or less receptive or responsive to the gospel. So, you know, it's not go out and corner somebody and preach to them. It's build a relationship with the people in your social network so that as they see you suffering for Christ, they will see how you respond and they'll see the difference Christ makes. Because let's face it, Christians and non-Christians have a lot in common. We all struggle with our weight. We all struggle with our kids. We all struggle with our jobs. You know, we, all, we have a lot in common. And if you, as a believer, can live your life to bring glory to God, the people that are in your social network who are watching you closely, more closely than you probably realize, will ask at some point, 
How do you handle that? And then you have the opportunity to give a reason for the hope that you have. But you have to be understandable and believable. Those are words that come out of our purpose statement. We want to present biblical Christianity in an understandable and believable way. And sometimes we're not. Let's just be honest. Sometimes Christians are not believable. Sometimes we're not understandable. Because we Christians have our own language. We have our own lingo. Every organization has their own lingo. Listen to military people talk. Uh, you know, we've had military people in our church through the years and, and here, well, I'm going to do the TOD. And the, what are you talking about? You know, can't you just tell me this is where I'm going to be? <laughs> you know, you got to have some acronym for it. Uh, listen to healthcare people talk. I don't know what a quapi is, but they're having a meeting about it. You know, everybody's got their own lingo. Listen to business people talk. Listen to Christians talk. And if we're going to be effective at giving an answer, we have to be understandable to the people we're talking to. Not to us, but to the people who are listening. I, I, I'm going to give this illustration just because I, I needed an, an opportunity to, to use it because it's a good one. <laughs> I stole it from Chuck Swindoll, so if you don't think this is appropriate, blame him. But he said that he heard over and over when he was in boot camp, don't garble the message. I don't know if they still play it or not, but it used to be a little kid's game called Gossip. And you would put everybody in a circle and you would start with the first person and the adult would whisper a sentence in that person. And then that person would repeat it to the next one and they would repeat it to the next one. And then when you got to the last person in the circle, you'd say, okay, what was the sentence? It was never what the sentence started out being. And, and you know, so sometimes we've got to make sure that we, we keep the message clear and straight. So Swindoll gives this illustration. A colonel issued this directive to his executive officer. Tomorrow evening at approximately 20 hundred hours, Haley's Comet will be visible in this area, an event which occurs only once every 75 years. Have the men fall out in the battalion area in fatigues, and I will explain this rare phenomenon to them. In case of rain, we won't be able to see anything, so assemble the men in the theater and I'll show them films of it. The executive officer to the company commander. By order of the colonel, tomorrow at 20 hundred hours, Haley's Comet will appear above the battalion area. If it rains, fall the men out in fatigues, then march to the theater where the wear phenomenon will take place, something which occurs only once every 75 years. The company commander to the lieutenant. By order of the colonel in fatigues at 20 hundred hours tomorrow evening, the phenomenal Haley's Comet will appear in the theater. In case of rain in the battalion area, the colonel will give another order, something which occurs once every 75 years. <laughs> Lieutenant to Sergeant. Tomorrow at 20 hundred hours, the colonel in fatigues will appear in the theater with Haley's Comet, something which happens every 75 years. If it rains, the colonel will order the comet into the battalion area. Sergeant to the squad. When it rains tomorrow at 20 hundred hours, 
The phenomenal 75-year-old General Haley, accompanied by the Colonel, will drive his comet through the battalion area theater in fatigues. <laughs> how it starts, how it ends. But so many times, we as believers use the language we know and are surprised that people have no idea what we're talking about. I was thinking about this because I was watching a service the other day and as the pastor closed his prayer, he closed it with, and all the people said, well, you may know that the response to that is amen. It comes from First Chronicles when they were celebrating before the ark and all the people said amen. But if you have never been in church or if your preacher never used that phrase and, and you walk into the open door and I say, and all the people said, uh, let's go, hubba hubba, way to go, how do you know? That's a uniquely Christian thing. I remember high school freshman. I attended a Christian high school. And back then it was legal to have what they called street meetings. And some Friday nights, some of the kids from the school would go down to the little town square in the small town where we were and have a street meeting. They would have people bring their instruments and they would play music and we would sing songs and then we would try to give a sermon on the street corner, hoping to gather you know, interest and people would come around and listen and we could share the gospel. And I remember one time, and I, I'm, you know, I'm just a kid, but you know, there's people walk, because there's a whole lot of people walking past you <laughs> than there are who stop to listen. And an, an older Christian said, I want to give my testimony. Said, okay. They gave him the little mic and the little PA system. And he said, I thank the Lord that I am saved and sanctified and washed in the blood of the Lamb. And people walking by looked. And it hit me. They have no idea what he's talking about. And even then, it was like, we've got to be careful that we use language the people understand. In the first century, they said that Christians were cannibals because they misunderstood when the Christians talk about the Lord's Supper and, and drinking the blood. And so it, it behooves us as we're trying to share our faith with other people. And I hope that you realize that I try to do that here at Open Door because we never know when somebody's going to come in that doesn't have church background and understand the lingo. Let's be clear. Let's be understandable. It doesn't matter how effective you are theologically. If they don't have any idea what you're saying, it didn't help much. So let's be believable. Let's be understandable to the listeners. Be ready to give an answer, but make sure that you give it with language that the people who are listening understand. But he says, make sure you do it with gentleness and respect. Oh, you mean I'm supposed to treat them heathen with gentleness and respect? Yeah. I remember the first church I pastored, I was walking up the, the side aisle to head to the platform, 
And somebody stopped me and we're talking about something that had happened in the air. He said, I tell you what, preacher, I'd be happy if God would just let me kick them straight into hell. But, well, that's not exactly the attitude we should have as a witness. Gentleness, not arrogance. Too many times Christians come across as being arrogant. Well, you're going to get yours. You're going to see who's right. That, that doesn't help anything. Do it with gentleness, kindness, and respect. Because here's a key. Generally, you have to earn the right to speak. And you earn the right to speak by first listening when you're with your friends, they're not interested in, I know what let's do. Let's invite Pastor Ken to come and preach a sermon to him. No. What they're interested in is seeing your life. And in the course of conversations, you have the opportunity, because you have listened to them, they will give you the opportunity, if they're decent at all, to speak but we have to listen for we want to talk first what we need to learn to do is listen first and as you listen you will be surprised how many times you hear people talking about the problems that are just common to mankind and and I don't know what to do and I don't know how a person handles this and I don't know what to do and you'll be given an opportunity with the right spirit the right attitude to say I heard you say that you weren't sure how people handled this do you have a couple minutes that i can tell you about something that happened in my life and you can tell part not the whole thing but you can tell them part of your story and the difference that prayer made or the difference going to church made the difference jesus made and and then you just leave it and let god work you know planting the seed watering the seed harvesting the seed but you earn the right to speak by first listening. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with attending a class on how to share your faith. I have had in several churches classes where we would teach people how to share your faith. But you know something? I have never once in my life seen a class advertised for new grandparents on how to talk about their grandchildren. Never seen it. I've seen bumper stickers that said, let me tell you about my grandchildren. I've been in t around tables when people say, oh, let you be show you my grandbabies. And, you know, our, our youngest now has a pet. And so uh, we're now sharing pet pictures with the servers at restaurants. And, oh, let me show you mine. Let me show you mine. All of the classes that they offer at dog grooming places, not one of them is how to talk to people about your pet. <laughs> because they know if you care about something, it just kind of comes out of you. Let's be so excited about Christ that when the opportunities come up, I'm not talking about barging in, but when the opportunities come up, because Peter does not say, be ready to preach to people before they ask. He says, be ready to give an answer when they ask. That's a challenge in our day, and we need to pray regularly. God, lead people into my life that, that are open to you and that will be receptive to me 
and, and give me the words to say and, and the opportunities. How many times in your life as a believer, at the end of the day, as you were reflecting over your day, you wanted to smack yourself in your forehead because you realized, I missed a great opportunity to say something about God. It was right there. They opened up the door. And I didn't go through. So let's ask the Lord to help us not to duck. That when the opportunities come, that he will give us the wisdom and the tact to say the right things in the right way to help people learn more about the God we love and serve. So are you ready? Are you spiritually prepared for the challenges of these days? To handle the difficulties that come and to use them as opportunities to share the words of Christ. Father, help us to be effective in our witness for you. We're, we're living in a, in a day when we, we've got to be careful of the different contexts in which we talk, but, but Lord, there will be opportunities with our, with our social network, with our Fran, there will be those opportunities to just talk about you. And, and I pray that you would help us to realize that just a casual comment about the difference Christ makes, the difference prayer makes, the difference having Christian friends makes, the difference going to church makes, that, that it will begin to help people understand more and at some point ask more and then help us to be able to give the answers. Lord, help us to live in such a way that not only do we handle the difficulties of life as you would have us to, but that we will be able to share the hope that we have in a believable and understandable way. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and give you his peace now and evermore. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for being here today. God bless you. Go in peace.